0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm.
1: everyone to another episode of Shark Bites. Uh, I'm your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. And I'm here today with a very special guest. Uh, He is the author of uh, many, many millions uh, sold books, including The Atlantis Gene, Departure, Pandemic, and uh, the book we're going to be discussing today, uh, Lost in Time. Uh, I'm here with uh, Jerry but you can call him A.G. Riddle if you're looking for his books. Uh, Jerry, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Well, I'm very excited about this because I am, uh, as I said, a a huge nerd. And (laughs) anytime you start throwing time travel and dinosaurs around, uh, it really piques my interest. And I know that the listeners out there are going to be very intrigued by this as well. So, you have been writing for uh, many years and you did, I think what a lot of us folks in the creative industry would love to do, uh, quit your job and just started writing full time. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you went about that and how uh, terrifying was it to step away from guaranteed income to like,
0: hopeful income that's a good question i i um was very fortunate i mean i started an internet company in college and did that for 10 years started a few of them and and sold them and i you know i liked a lot of the work i mean i liked you know writing software and i you know sort of loved the startup environment you know the fluid nature of it and learning new things but i i just was burnt out after 10 years and i was trying to figure out like i had had some success but i wasn't like you know some breakout smash hit right like i i didn't really feel like i had found the thing that i was meant to do with my life so what i loved is reading i mean i like after work every day i would come home and read mostly science fiction and and i love you know science fiction in space i love time travel i love these high concept stories I also am a pretty big nerd and geek and and just love science and history. And and so, you know, writing is something I came to as sort of a second career to say, you know, if I can if I can make a go at this, or if I can if I can write something that I think has value and there's a market and an audience for this work, this is what I'd love to do and see where it takes me. So I spent I me mean, it was two and a half years I spent writing that first book and I was learning a lot about writing and I was learning a lot about myself you know my own you know what am i good at my strengths what are my limitations and and um yeah and my wife thought i was just going crazy She was like you know you've been working on this novel for years like you you've got to release it or move on or do something and she finally read it and and really liked it and and i thought i'd done some good work on that first novel but but anyway that's and i've been doing it uh full time really since uh, 2011 so about 11 years now and um it's worked out
1: yeah it seems it seems to be uh, i mean you sold millions of books so <laughs> that's generally the goal um now do you uh because i i find myself doing this you know do you look back and you find something that you wrote you know maybe it's like a first draft of something and you look back and you look at it now like something from say like five six years ago and you look at it and go wow, I can't believe I thought that was good at the time because (laughs) you've progressed.
0: (laughs) Probably. I mean, I'll say that the first stuff I ever wrote, you know, 11 years ago, I thought this is terrible. Like I've never, like I had enough self-awareness to know that this is bad. Like, not only is it bad, it's not even close to being anything publishable or, or good enough to put out there. And I, I really just kept at it. And, um, you know, I'm still really proud of that first book. Like, it was the best thing I could produce at the time. But I, I, I like to think I've gotten better. I mean, I think that's debatable among reviewers and readers. But um, but I am, I do think that's part of the job. Like, you try to get better with every book, and and I think it's different for every novel. Like, what I'm trying to get better at might be different than what someone else is trying to get better at. And, and I think it also, like, my personal my reading tastes and my sort of affinities as an author have, have sort of developed over 10 years. And and I do think that's tough because readers come to expect a certain thing. And so you have to sort of stay in that lane, but also I think that you have to challenge yourself if you really want to get better. And, and, and there's some, some push and pull there for sure.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, there's, I'm not, obviously not going to name names, but there's a, a, a writer that I've been reading uh, over the past couple of years and, I like the subject matter but the story seemed to be almost the exact same thing it's like you can just copy and paste the the characters and the plot just you know change some names and locations but it's it's essentially the same story over and over again and it's like you tell a good story and you have a good idea but come up with something a little different. And, you know, and I'm always willing to continue to give a a writer a chance. Um, But yeah, what you're saying is completely true. Like as you grow and you experience things as a person, that's going to be reflected in your writing, whether it's like, oh, I learned a new word today and I'm going to use that in my next book or I'm going (laughs) to. I learned about a new concept, you know, quantum entanglement. Oh, how can I work that into a story? Because that sounds really cool. and as with everything, you know, there's always going to be someone who's nitpicky and like, well, you know, actually, at this point, the way I look at any type of storytelling, whether whether it's books or movies or TV shows, I am very happy to suspend my disbelief. You want to tell me that there's an island full of dinosaurs that I can go visit as a theme park? I'm there. I know that doesn't exist in real life. But when you say here are the rules, stick by your rules. Whatever yeah. the rules are of your world, stick by. It. And I think that uh, what I've been seeing from uh, Lost in Time, uh, you're definitely doing that, and I greatly appreciate it.
0: So, yeah. no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I think I think you're 100 percent right, and I do think that the challenge for, for us novelists is for my audience. You know, where is that line? where they're willing to suspend disbelief and where they can. not And I think whatever you do, you're right. It's sort of like, if you change the rules that you've laid out, it's like the ultimate cop out. People feel a little cheated. They're like, well, you, I mean, you didn't do the work to like to really pull off a great ending or a great twist or something that that has to be possible in, in what you've sort of laid out here. But I think, I do think that um, for me, that's the fiction I love where it's, you know, it's believable. And I think the characters help you a great deal with believability. Like if they act authentically, if they're emotionally authentic and what they're going through feels real when you're reading it. I think you're willing to believe that, you know, a young boy can take a wooden stick and vanquish dementors or shoot, you know, white mm-hmm. magic out of it. And, uh, you know, your little green guy can lift an X-wing fighter out of a marsh, you know, it's like these, these things become believable cause the characters and the world feels real enough to us. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I I agree. Uh,
1: Another thing that I I do like, and uh, your book definitely does this well, takes, you know, higher mathematics or higher science and explains it in a way that, you know, even someone who's unfamiliar with, you know, quantum entanglement or, you know, the many worlds theory, or you know temporal causality loops you know those those folks are still able to follow along with the story because you're not it's almost like you know it's like i'm trying to explain this to you not like as a child but like similarly where it's like i have an understanding of this let me explain it to you so you understand it on the same level uh You know, uh, one one author that comes to mind that does that a lot is Andy Weir, who did The Martian and Project uh, Hail Mary and Artemis, you know, advanced, you know, uh, astrophysics, but explained in a way that you can easily follow the story. You don't get lost. You don't feel dumb. You don't feel like the writer is condescending to you. Um, And I like the, you know, like the the interaction with Sam and Adeline. Um, I'm not going to spoil what, but the, at, towards the beginning of the book, before the main conflict arises, um, where he's explaining things to her, and she's like, "Oh, you know, say it in English," and he <laughs> kind of realizes what he's doing, and he and he does, and he's like, "All right, well, long story short, this is what I'm trying to say." That I think your your uh, your book has done uh, quite well, where you've needed to do
0: that. Yeah. And I've worked really hard on those passages because I mean, I think they help, but I also think if you go overboard and there's too much in there, like, I mean, I get my wife to read the books and sometimes she's like, man, you know, there's way too much in here. Like, you know, the mo- most people don't care about this stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'll take it out. But, you know, I, I think that it helps. I think it helps with the believability. Like if you, you know, show your work, uh, to a mm-hmm. certain extent, I think it helps a lot of readers. And then I think that there's a point at which you lose a lot of readers because they're like, you know, I I want to know what happens to these characters. I don't I don't care how the time machine works. <laughs> you know, they're like, I'm willing to believe that this thing exists and it's gonna work. So yeah,
1: yeah, and it's and it's tough. Like I said, especially with audiences today, where it's like, well, you never you never explained X, Y, and Z, but it's like, yeah, but it's I didn't have a Deus Ex Machina moment. Like just you know given the information that i've given you understand that these characters can do this stuff without you know like how often do you go out well i'm gonna go outside and i'm going to pump gas but first i'm going to slide my you don't explain what you're doing (laughs) as you do it (laughs) you just do it because it's not second nature, but it's a, a a skill that you have learned by rote. You don't have to think about doing it. And that's how it is with these characters. And not everyone understands that because they're not looking at it from that uh, perspective. Sometimes they just want to tear something down, which is unfortunate. But you said you read a lot of uh, sci-fi and history and science stuff. So where did this idea come from? Because I saw a review that referred to it uh and i think it's the perfect word crichton esque um so was you know michael Crichton or isaac asimov or ray bradbury any of these folks like who who kind of like inspires you and kind of kicked off this idea
0: oh wow well i mean all of those guys and i mean you know literally everything i read is and you know tv shows and movies but i think for me, a lot of the inspiration comes from just imagining like things that I would be interested, like a story set up that I would be interested in. So I I will say that lost in time is a novel that where I wanted to try something a little different to challenge myself. I mean, it is a a bit of a different novel than the others that I've written, but I wanted to write something that, that was about, you know, high concept technology and science, Mm -hmm. but, but also about characters and family. Cause you know, it's like, you talk about how, novelists they're what they're interested in evolves and you know, it's like when i started writing i was you know um i was just a guy with a girlfriend now i'm a guy who has married that girlfriend we have two kids we have a six-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son and it's like the things i think about and i'm interested in are a little different i've just gone through COVID, and mm-hmm. it's like the world is just so different and but but lost in time i think at its core I wanted to write a story about family and families coming back together. Cause I think after COVID, we're all kind of like, man, you know, want to see my friends again. I want to, you know, go out and be a family and do our thing and sort of get back to normal. And I, and so I also, I love time travel, always love time travel. And, you know, Departure was a, a standalone time travel novel that I wrote a few years ago. And when I wrote Departure, I told my wife, I was like, you know, I'm never doing this again. Like these stories are so I'm, I'm, not terribly organized. And so a time travel novel you got to keep up with these timelines. I was like, you know, it's just murder keeping up with all this stuff and getting it all to work and getting it right, never doing that again. Well apparently my memory six years is the cliff over which I forget things <laughs> and repeat the same mistakes from a literary standpoint. Because I was like, you know, I just finished a trilogy, uh, the long winter trilogy. So I was like, I'm gonna, you know, want to write a standalone. I was like, I'm gonna write a time travel you know, story about a family getting back together. But that was kind of the driver for it. And then Absalom, you know, the the time machine has kind of a new twist because it's in the near future, it's this device that they use to send the worst criminals. So terrorists, genocidal dictators, serial killers, like all these people that the world doesn't want around. They send them 200 million years into the past, the time of the dinosaurs. And so the story is really about one of the scientists who created the the machine his daughter is falsely accused of murder and to save her he takes the rap and goes back to the time of the dinosaurs and then it's on his daughter to try to get him back but the thing i really loved about this story about writing it is i've now got you know this dad bod dad of two which i can identify with and then you know the other protagonist is a 19 year old female, which, you know, obviously is something that, that I need to sort of imagine a little and and push Mm -hmm. my own boundaries to write from that POV. But but I think that's what those, all of those things are what sort of drew me to the story.
1: And I, you know, to kind of circle back a little bit to talking about, uh, you know, explaining the, the, the science and the causality and everything, time travel is exceedingly difficult because there are so many different Paradoxes that you you come up with when it comes to uh when it, sending anything into the past. So you know the the scene where he confesses to the crime and he's discussing it with the with the lawyer and he's like, well, how do we know that sending him back in time wouldn't destroy the entire universe because he's right. the guy who invented this? So what happens? And then you you introduce uh, for people who are unfamiliar the many worlds theory where you know basically it's kind of like chaos theory you know like a butterfly flaps its wings in new york there's a tidal wave in hong kong um where every every coin toss every decision you make creates a branch reality right so like even the smallest things so like all right we're sending this guy back in time and he's going to exist in this time now but that's going to create a new branch reality so it doesn't doesn't affect our reality and he can't do anything to you know uh you know to screw anything up in our our present you know which i always thought was fascinating i i used to write for a paranormal website and we did this whole thing on time travel and you know the 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 whole theory of you can't go back and change anything in the past it's like all right i'm going to go stop the kennedy assassination you go back in time you stop the kennedy assassination well that means the kennedy assassination never happened therefore there was no reason for you to go back in time so you never did it so it happens anyways right. you know there's the, the the grandfather paradox where you can't go back in time and kill your grandfather as a baby because then you're never born which means you never go back in time to kill your grandfather or the uh temporal causality loop that i mentioned earlier uh if you've seen terminator or you've listened to the uh black sabbath song iron man it's going back in time and causing the exact you know the thing you're going back in time to prevent you cause by going back in time right like skynet was created because they found the pieces of the terminator and were then able to reverse engineer it and create skynet so time travel when you're writing is super difficult yeah. worse when you're trying to make a film i think so um i'm interested like i said to you earlier uh i haven't finished this because i don't want to accidentally give anything away not that i ever have but just in case i never do that when i'm interviewing a writer whose book just came out
0: i think it's a good practice
1: yeah, yeah. um i'm interested to see how you do it uh, I have a couple of ideas based on some of the stuff that I've read, but I'm not going to say anything. You know, uh, the, the death Valley thing. I would, the, I would uh,
0: love to hear. Yeah. If it surprised you or what you thought of, because it, it does implement time travel in a little different way, or there's, you know, obviously the, the rules that are set up are observed, but there is, um, there are yeah, a few hints early in the book about what, yeah. What is, possible. yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Um, so, my next question is, <clears throat> why did you choose Absalom as the name? And like, I have a an idea based on you know what Absalom means and what the purpose of the machine is. But why did you choose it?
0: It's you know the biblical reference, but it's also it was a word that sounded very close to absolute. And you know, it's sort of like the idea that when you send someone to an alternate universe. Two hundred million years in the past, that that feels irre- irreversible. Like, and, I, and Absalom has, as a name, has this sort of dreaded feels. You know, fate worse than Absalom is what they talk about in the mm-hmm. book, and, and it's sort of like I do think that there's an interesting social sort of question about this. You know, what is the power of Absalom? Is it that it just scares people to death, and is that how it really creates crime more so than you know getting rid of the people because you know you already have that essentially with life in prison or the death penalty or whatever. But, but anyway, it's sort of – I do think one of the other themes in the book is, is about uncertainty and how it wreaks havoc on um, people and families. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's why the name appealed.
1: Well, it's, and it's interesting, too, because change a single letter in the name, like the way you have it spelled in the book, A-B-S-O-L-O-M, As opposed to the biblical reference, which is A L O M, the name, the literal translation changes very, very slightly from "of" to "is," which I think is. I'm always looking for like small, tiny references in everything, and that one definitely piqued my interest. So, I mean, again, not gonna. Not going to say too much more about that, but um, because I don't want to accidentally say anything. But I'm 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 interested. Um, So, how much research into time travel did you do? Like, and what were the different things that you kind of looked into to really make sure that you were observing uh, good rules and making sure that you're your story stayed consistent
0: well on this one uh not a lot into time travel itself i you know sort of had the working knowledge of the science that's discussed in the book a lot of it was was research into the triassic period and the you know the animals the fauna the you know what what plant life what um someone might eat if they were sent 200 million years into the past um and then there's and no spoilers, but there's there was a good amount of just location and time period research to make make sure things are correct. And I'm sure I've screwed some things up because I have problems with details sometimes. But this is known. But but I think a lot of it is um, you know the, the book begins in the near future, and you, you, you know that makes things a little easier. But in the periods that aren't in the present or future, I did you know try to get those right
1: and i i think the the thing that to me that's most interesting about when someone gets sent back especially where we see it happen to sam uh where they end up because it's impossible to know where they're going to land like from what height like is the elevation the same from where he's leaving to where he's going to end up uh is he accidentally going to be stuck inside a mountain Right. like grafted into the rock you know like that was uh, in the original script for terminator they sent two guys back one guy with kyle reese and he materialized uh where he materialized he had the uh he had a fire escape like through his thorax
0: oh, well that's smart yeah
1: uh so like something like that like oh am i gonna be stuck like inside a tree and there were there's there's some time travel thing where that that happens like people keep getting stuck inside of walls and i think it might even be like a marvel thing i'm i'm trying to remember i've watched a lot of movies but there's a lot of uh there's a lot of cool stuff like that where you can take creative license because no one's going to be like well actually uh pangea was slightly to the left uh (laughs) at that time so it's like settle down uh which i thought was really cool um i mean really like what the landscape looked like uh what the you know the the coastline the shore you know any any interactions with animals as long as they're time specific you can do whatever you want like it's great like i think that's uh you know it's especially with someone with a such a deep and vivid imagination um that must have been like you know, you know, like a like an amusement park for you. to Like coming yeah. up with what this looked like. Do you ever, you know, like sketch things out and kind of like I'm going to draw this out so I know that like you know if the cave is here, the volcano is there, the river's over there. Um, we have to make
0: maps. Yeah, they're terrible maps, but I do. I'm I'm not a very good drawer, but yeah. <laughs>
1: No, but as long as you're keeping track of where things are and you know what, what's going on for reference. Like, like I've been reading Game of Thrones, and I don't know how George R.R. R. Martin does it with everything that he has. It's like, yeah, there's maps here, but like, oh, my God. Like, he knows the streets, and like, you take a left here and a right there, at least with, uh, you know, Pangea, you don't have to worry about, you know, like, well, you know, this building's not on the corner of that street and that street. Okay. so. I I like that. Um, I was going to ask, I had another question, but you already answered it. Um, And this kind of touches on that. When you imagined this concept, because we've talked about it in, like, kind of vague, uncertain terms. But the thing that really drew me to this when uh, they reached out and asked me if I wanted to, uh, you know, interview you and, and get an advanced copy of the book Absalom is a machine that is used to send the worst criminals, like you said, uh, 200 million years into the past. And it's been a pretty good deterrent, uh, but it's not, you know, it hasn't eliminated all crime. It has, you know, like you discussed towards the beginning of the book, like there are nice rooms for people to kind of contemplate their choices that they've made, you know, like, oh, I had a night of drunken debauchery, and now I've been arrested. I'm not going to get sent into the past for that. (laughs) Like, that's a little extreme, but where Absalom is this, you know, almost self-contained city, which I think is very, uh, the the location in the deserts of Nevada, like, that's a fantastic location. I think that's one of the uh, smarter elements of the things that I've read, and that's That's saying a lot, because this is, you know, high science fiction. Um, They want like a nice, not utopic society that they're living in, because it's just a small self-contained city powered by the uh, sea of solar panels. But, you know, you still can't get around human nature. People are going to do the things that they're going to do, and sometimes they make bad choices. Um, I like the fact that their rehabilitation is almost it's very similar to like some of the prisons you see in Norway that just look like small apartments or college dorms. Uh, When you were imagining that concept, like, was that something that came to you towards the beginning or like, how did this break down? Were you like, all right, I want something with dinosaurs. How do I get there? Like, how did you like kind of. the path that you took to get everything kind of uh situated in the story
0: that's a good question it's something i I had to think about a little because there was a few things i wanted to do early in the story and and one is to is to really like originally the book had a prologue and my agent and my publisher read it and they were like yeah this is really the prologue's kind of techie it doesn't really get into what is happening you know and it's a little vague and and so we ended up taking out the prologue and just went to chapter one and and what i liked about the beginning of the book is that um it sort of shows you the central conflict this is a family that in which the mother has passed away and the dad is doing the best he can but he's not doing great and then um we know that there's some sort of conflict between the dad and the daughter that there, there's some rift there and then you know he's arrested chapter one and then pretty early so i wanted to have a setup um where we didn't have this long drawn out police procedural, where we've got tons of attorneys coming in, we've got you know X Y and Z, and there's you know a magistrate, and then there's like all this drawn out legal process. What I really wanted to do is get to what the real conflict is, which is getting this family back together. So, um, to some extent, having Absalom City, which is in Nevada, have a very advanced uh, sort of—I don't know if you'd call it friendly or at least um, conducive. Law enforcement helps a lot because they're like, you know what? We've got cameras everywhere. We know exactly what's happened. There's no sense in you lying to us. Or, you know, if you want to talk to an attorney, bring them on in, or, you know, you want to talk to someone else, you can try to get your story straight. And it's in the future. So they have sort of the technology. They're very good at prosecuting crime and they have very low crime in the city. So it's like murders are not very common in Absalom city or, or, At all. So I think those were things that helped a lot. And and I think the sort of inspiration for Absalom City is like, you know, what, what would a purpose built city in the future that's focused on technology look like? I mean, it's sort of like some of these cities there in the Bay Area and um, California that, you know, have grown up around Apple or Intel or Cisco or something like that. I mean, these are cities that There is fairly low crime. They're very affluent. You know, everyone, there's, you know, lots of technology, right? You're going to see tons of self-driving cars and things like that. And so that was sort of the idea. And and what I think it does for the story, I I think some of the stuff is interesting, but I think it helps to move the narrative along, which I feel strongly is the thing, especially in the environment we're in. You've got to do early in the story. Attention spans are shrinking and people want to know what this story really is about more so than, tell me all about the future legal system. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm glad that we didn't get bogged down by that. Cause you know, I want time travel and dinosaurs. Like that's, that's where I'm at. And I, and I think that's uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there is a, a time and place for that. Like ask John Grisham, but yeah, but that's what his books are about too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like that's what the, that's, that's the story you right. know is, Um, but with this, it's like, okay, you know, what I like is that it's, it's, uh, it's conducive to the world building and lets you know what's going on, how things are handled, uh, doesn't give you really a glimpse of what's going on on the outside of this city, but it definitely, uh, allows you to know, okay, this is how things are here. And anything outside of this is irrelevant it doesn't matter like you know the rest of the country could be a flaming hellscape it doesn't matter (laughs) this is what's going on here that's what's important yeah Uh, which i which i like so were you able to draw on you know some real life like you were just saying like some of these cities that sprouted up around these big tech companies when it came to imagining the uh you know, the, the late Triassic, um, what did you reference for that? Like, you know, did you watch Jurassic Park six or seven times <laughs> and just kind of look around there? Or were you looking at like specific, like when you're describing uh, where Sam is, are you describing a specific area that you've experienced or that you did a research on?
0: Yeah, I mean a lot of it was just looking up, you know, research articles on you know speculation. Because the, the the period that he arrives in is the late Triassic. It's right at the boundary of the Triassic Jurassic extinction event. So there is some change in the world. And I mean, I don't think knowledge is is necessarily a hundred percent on, but there is very good, um, very good knowledge about on average what sort of plant life he would encounter. And we obviously we know geographically, you know, there was one continent, Pangaea, at this time. And and this is the point at which over the course of a few million years, Pangaea separates. You know, you've got earthquakes and volcanoes. And it's like the world is is ripped apart, which I think is, is fairly symbolic for what's happening with their family and what um, they're trying to recover from in a few periods of, of time. But, yeah, there's some – the research was out there. And, and, you know, I'm very lucky to be writing at a time when, you know, you can access this stuff Pretty readily. I mean, it would have taken me a lot more time to write this book 15, 20 years ago. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, having you know a, a small device in the in your pocket that has access to literally all the knowledge in the history of the world is pretty convenient. Uh, you know, reminds me of you know I'm sure you you experienced this as well as a kid. You need to learn how to do math in your head because you're not going to be carrying around a calculator <laughs> in your pocket. Turns out you are Uh, calculator, among other things. Um, But there's a, you know, sometimes I think when people write, because I, you know, I do this myself. I imagine like a specific neighborhood, maybe where I grew up and like you're describing that in your you know it's like oh you know he walked up the hill and there was you know this tree that was on the right and you know was is there any of that in your in your story like if someone knew you really well will you be like oh he's describing his neighborhood oh he's describing you know the house where he grew up as a kid
0: well probably i mean i i grew up in a very small town in western north carolina we had one stoplight, and my grandfather had um a really large lumber company and our house was on the edge of that property and so we had a pond back there and i mean i spent my childhood fishing and hunting and riding my four-wheeler and so i mean it was this dense overgrown kind of stretch of land in western north carolina that was hot very hot in the summer and it's was a little like the triassic i think the triassic that sam encounters is probably that on steroids it's, it's a lot more intense and, and more dangerous obviously but
1: yeah. yeah, so it's almost like you're, you know, in order to, you know, put yourself into Sam's shoes, like you were saying, you know, it's more difficult to, you know, kind of give yourself the point of view of a 19 year old girl. But when it's coming to Sam, it's like, okay, you know, oh, you know, he's dealing with, you know, this heat or this humidity or this, you know, intense sunburn. It's like, oh, I remember how I felt when that happened to okay. me. So, like i'm sitting there and i'm um you know he's lying face up because he doesn't have the energy to swim and he's just sitting there in the ocean getting cooked yeah. It's like oh yeah it reminds me in 2007 when i was in texas and got the worst sunburn of my life <laughs> i got absolutely roasted like i can understand his pain like i can so it's it's not just cathartic for the writer it's almost it's also like almost empathetic for the 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 reader it's like oh i know exactly how he's feeling i understand his pain i understand his you know discomfort whatever and i mean when you're writing uh, a character and you're putting a little bit of yourself because i think everybody does that when they're writing um doesn't matter what the character is you're putting a little bit of yourself your your experiences you know you're almost describing how you felt in certain ways um it definitely helps tell that story yeah and one of the things I was going to ask is the the life experiences that you've had over the last 11 years, how have those things changed or informed your writing?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I do think that, I think the things I'm interested in writing about, you know, it's like my first book, The Atlantis Gene, really was like, I mean, it's a geek fest. I mean, it's all this science and history. And I mean, the stuff that is in there is just, I mean, I do think it's a veritable buffet of just like, you know, the stuff I was interested in at the time, which was human origins. And um, I've always liked the story of Atlantis. So it's, it's a sci-fi. I mean, it's got so many sci-fi themes in there, probably too many, but, but, you know, now like, you know, stories about families are, are really I, something that I am interested in reading and interested in writing and, I think also, fam- you know, stories that that are about ideas, but also about the values that these characters have, and I, I think ultimately one of the things I'm proud of is in the book is you know their values and what what they believe and how they live their life is is to a great extent how they come through it. You know, it's not that they're the smartest or the strongest or the fastest, although they all have to develop in those areas. It's like you know what their moral code is is, is what. Um, what helps them the most. But, I mean, I think that's some of it. And then I think, you know, some of the things that I'm still interested in, like Sam, his his experience is largely about survival. And, you know, and, and that stuff I like, you know, it's like, how, how would you survive in the wild? But I think his, I, I do think that his, the arc of the story for him is about, is emotional and getting over the things that have happened to you in your life. And I think we've all, all of us, no matter who you are, has had, something's happened to you that you know really set you back emotionally and you've mm-hmm. got to get over the past and you've got to sort of come to terms with it and that, that's and for him it was the loss of his wife and it's sort of like how does he how does he you know move on with his life and also be a good dad but and I think I think all dads are just like I mean obviously my wife is luckily still alive and but we're all sort of especially in COVID it's like man, the world is so different and strange like yeah, I grew up like the Internet. I was, you know, 14, 15 years old when it came online. And I mean, I sort of grew up with it, but my kids, I mean, you know, they're, they're growing up in a world that seems very different. And I sort of wonder, you know, how do you protect them, but also, you know, make sure they're well adapted to the world they're going to encounter when I'm gone. Um, which I think you know, the story is a little about that, too. You know, Sam is basically leaving his daughter behind in this world that's clearly very dangerous, one of his colleagues his girlfriend has just been murdered. So uh, anyway, it's a a, sort of a long answer, but yeah, it's, I I do think every story, you you know, you said earlier that the authors put a little of themselves into the novel. And I think that's true. And I think that the, the ones that do invest in their work do it, but also think the more you invest and the more of yourself you put in the book and the more likely you are to possibly get hurt, you know, from the criticism because you, you take it personally, you invested in it and and there's a lot of you in it, but I, I don't think, I don't think I can do a good job without it. You know, it's like you talk about the books that are the same time and again, and it could be that, you know, that character is, is a reflection of the author, but, but I always try to put, I always, the stories that I gravitate to writing are the ones that I probably see a lot of myself in my own experiences.
1: I think that makes sense too. I mean, you know, what's the old saying, write what you know, and yeah. you know, obviously you don't know, at least I don't, as I assume you don't know much about, you know, traveling 200 million years into the past, you know, so that's where the artistic license comes in. But, you know, you've, you've got that, you know, I'm a dad, he's a dad. Let me put some of my fears and my anxieties into this character. You know, how do I think that, you know, this relationship could be and, you know, because the, the characters in this book, a lot of them have very, uh, the Absalom 6 have very uh, tragic stories surrounding yeah. them um, and like you kind of you know you get that piece by piece as you're going through uh, the stories but I mean you can definitely tell that you've done research uh, I like the fact that you added in the uh, the rule of three when it comes to survival uh, yeah. you know, three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food like that's uh, that's uh You know, clearly something that you, you know, either gained from, you know, like you were saying, you know, growing up in Western North Carolina, you know, finding shelter, finding fresh water, like those are your two main things, you know, fire, you know, and like, what are the implications of fire, like, I have to go hunting, and I have fire, but everything around here is, you know, almost programmed to fear fire and flee from it. So how do I hunt? And have my fire at the same time, like it's 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 pretty interesting, like how he makes the torches, how you know he's, uh, where he finds food, like you know, and what stuff he should eat, what stuff he shouldn't eat. Uh, it's very it's very very interesting, and uh, I'm really having a, a lot of fun with this book. So I just have a couple more uh, questions for you before I let you go. Um, so one of them is more of a personal opinion based on you know, the, uh, the whole Absalom project. Uh, do you think teleportation or time travel is more realistic?
0: Uh, time travel. I mean, travel to the future uh, is obviously very doable. I mean, you know, all you need to do is accelerate an object to dilate time or make it, put it in the influence of heavy gravity. Uh, teleportation, you know, moving mass across space uh, instantaneously, I think it's going to be very challenging. It, it, the, the, energy requirements are probably going to be cost prohibitive and i mean if you did it it would probably be a microscopic amount
1: yeah yeah i mean technically you know we're all traveling to the future you know you can just sit and wait
0: yeah
1: i mean that that's one form of time travel the least exciting kind like no one no one wants to read a book about that like bob waited two weeks and found himself two (laughs) weeks in the future like the end uh, no paradoxes though. You don't have to worry about that.
0: Yeah, it's covered.
1: Uh, so you've got a bunch of other prod projects. You know, you've got your tr- your trilogy that came out. You've got lots and lots of other books. Um, uh, you've got adaptations uh made being made into film, from what I understand. I've
0: had some interest. I don't know. It's not clear to me where those projects are. But yeah, you know, there's no nothing's in production
1: which is uh unfortunate because there are there are a few things out there that i like uh departure um because there was that mini series that came out
0: yeah there's been a few <laughs> and it's... oh man my yeah i don't know i told my wife the other day i was like you know this will probably happen after i die so you just enjoy the <laughs> enjoy the you know, red carpet or whatever without me but
1: you know I- i'm telling it like there's I just watched a movie. See, I like the, the terrible shark movies, and I just watched one the other day called Shark Side of the Moon. Oh, wow. Uh, it, uh, the scientists were in, in the 80s in Russia were creating shark-human hybrids, but they all escaped, but they were able to trick them onto a rocket and launch them onto the dark side of the moon and then, like, Today, uh, a group of astronauts was going to explore the dark side of the moon and, oh, sharks, and there's a <laughs> colony, and everyone can breathe, and it's it's some wild stuff. Like
0: You talk about an original premise, though. I mean, it, it hasn't been done, as far as no. I know.
1: And, you know, I, I would tell you that Lost in Time is something that I would absolutely want to see. Um, so if you were... So say Lost in Time gets gets uh optioned and they're gonna make a movie out of it and you get to you get to you get some insight as to who would who would play your your lead characters who who would be sam
0: that's a great question man i don't um i just don't know i mean i think uh you know is it ryan gosling is it ryan reynolds is it another ryan that i don't know about is it brad pitt probably not he's probably busy
1: um, I don't know. Brad Brad Pitt was one of the first people I thought of. Okay. Especially after seeing him in World War Z.
0: Yes, no, I, I love World War Z. I think. Uh, listen, I would be happy if anyone played the role. <laughs> I just would love to see this become either a TV show or a film. Or yeah, I don't, it'd just be. It would enhance my life greatly. I'll say that I. I've, it's one of the things I've desired of the work, but. I don't know I, if it'll ever
1: happen. I can definitely see this as, uh as a mini series. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Like a lot of stuff that's been coming out lately has been based on, you know, stories that or, or books that people aren't familiar with. Like last night, I went and saw three thousand Years of Longing," based on a book. Yeah. Uh, Bullet Train based on a book
0: who is it wow
1: <laughs> yeah i didn't know that either and again brad pitt so and uh, i would i would highly recommend both of those films
0: um nice
1: but yeah you would be surprised the stuff that gets made you know it doesn't need to have a huge budget but i, I definitely think that this is something um lost in time sounds like so much fun to watch especially on you know uh like a weekly basis. It's like yeah. oh man what's going to happen next, you know, especially where you've got you know the the two opposing viewpoints where one of the things I like the best about your book is that the chapters are very short so you make a lot of progress cuz you're like oh I, it's only a couple pages I'll just read the next chapter. Oh, it's only a couple pages as opposed to looking and it's like oh I have 12 more pages and I really <laughs> oh, I really don't I just want to finish this chapter. But it's with with this, it's a psychological thing. It's like how Dan Brown writes his novels where it's like, it's only a few pages each time. So you're like, oh my God, I've read half the book. And, you know, now I'm really engrossed in it because so much of the story has happened. What I like is, you know, I'm at the point where every other chapter is Sam in the past, Adeline in the future, Sam in the past, Adeline in the future. Like I'm liking that because every chapter ends at like this, this uh shatter point almost and it's like ooh, that can't be good what's next <laughs> but like you have to get through you have to get through the stuff that sam's going through but like you really want to get through the stuff that sam's going through so i'm like okay all right so we made fire and oh that happened oh that's not good oh the chapter <laughs> is over but i get to find out what happened with adeline okay what happened oh what happened now oh now i gotta come so it's it's a very well uh, well done uh, story structure and I really like it now is that something you intended is that how you wrote it or do you just like I'm gonna write Sam stuff and almost like filming a movie like we're gonna film all this stuff and then just edit it together uh, how did how did you do that
0: yeah this, this is again probably something that I have learned from my earlier novels like my early novels probably had too many POBs early in the, in the story. So for this one, I wanted to have a really narrow focus early in the book, you know, which is, you know, mostly on Sam, he's arrested, he's at the jail and to some extent his daughter, but it's like, man, how do we get this guy out of jail? Oh, PS, he's not getting out of jail. And then my vision for the middle of the story was these dueling perspectives in which Sam and Adeline are in a huge amount of trouble, and things go from bad to worse. And it's like, as you say, with every chapter, it's like, oh, okay, things can't get anywhere Oh, things are getting worse, and things are getting worse and worse and worse. But, but I think I, what I loved, what I loved about the outline or the sort of the broad arc of the story is that what Sam and Adeline are going through is so radically different, but they're both in a huge amount of trouble. Like Sam is just literally trying to find something to eat trying to survive another day and Adeline her challenge is really about understanding these people around her because as you said like all these people have this terrible awful in their past and that is somehow related to what's going on but you don't know whose terrible awful event and whose problem is what has caused all this and it's like so for her the challenge is is figuring out the people and for Sam the challenge is figuring out the physical environment that he's in and I think I think there's something pretty cool about that that I was drawn to that anyway. And then the storytelling mode does change, no spoilers, and uh, you haven't gotten to it yet, but it it will shift one more time in the book. And um and I really liked that change as well.
1: Now, when you when you you said you did an outline, how close to the story is your outline? I mean, I've done I've I've written stuff where as I'm going through the characters do things that surprise me despite the fact that i'm the one writing them it's like oh i didn't expect this to happen and the story take you in a a weird uh a weird direction uh i think george r, r. martin refers to it as gardening <laughs>
0: um
1: where you plant these seeds and wait to see what happens yeah um is that your style or you know does it depend on your you know what you're writing or like what's your do you have like a, a a static process that you go through every time.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, what, what you're talking about is what I love the most about writing is when the, when the characters surprise you and the story almost starts writing itself. And like, I do think that's why I continue to do this because I love when stuff like that happens. I mean, so my outlines, like when I first started writing, my outlines were super detailed. and I had the whole thing planned out. And you know, the story, as I started writing, you, what happens to me is I get to know the characters better and I think of better ideas. And, you know, I get to a point and it's like, well, this is what's in the outline, but you know, this character wouldn't do this. Like I know them a lot better and this doesn't feel on the page. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real, you know, so that happens. So I changed the outline or throughout the outline. And then I think, well, you know, be actually what I wrote in the outline was okay, but this was like, here's something that's a lot better. So for me, I think the books tend to end up where I thought they would in terms of the the broad arc of the outline, but it's like how you get there for me, mm-hmm. it's just a lot. And and the scenes change a great deal and things are added and taken out. And then like you were talking about with the chapters, you know, when I write an outline, I'm never quite sure where these chapters should end or like, you know, is this does this feel like the natural place to transition back to the other POV? And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. So, for me, the writing process is something where things really evolve a lot.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's the sign of like a a good story. It's almost like when you're really in the zone writing and you're really in the zone reading, it's very similar because at least for me, and I know my brain doesn't work the same as everyone else's, but uh, it seems to me that you and I might be on the same page, no pun intended on this where (laughs) Like when you're reading or when you're writing and you're really into it, and you're really in the zone, you're no longer seeing the words. Yeah. You're imagining the story. Yeah. Like do you that's find what it's
0: about? That's what it's... Yeah. I, I really think that's what it's about.
1: Yeah. So that's, I think that's the sign of a really good story, whether, you know, not to toot your own horn, but it's like, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, I want to write something that, I would want to watch on TV or something that I would want to read. Like, you know, why can't we have, you know, this type of hero? Why can't we have, you know, uh, this type of adventure? You know, like, what if it's, you know, the end of the world, and like, there's a zombie apocalypse, but there's a handful of people living on a submarine? Like, who does that? You know? I mean, yeah, that was kind of an idea from Terminator Salvation. But so their base couldn't be found but um i think that's just about it um other than what do we have what do you have planned coming up i know you you were saying like this you know this book just released there's a a ton of stuff that you know goes along with releasing a book and uh i want to say that on your your website the uh that special edition copy that uh the uk version yeah that well,
0: thing looks amazing. It's super cool. Yeah, they um, I think they printed only they they sent the the um, the tip sheets here that I signed them twenty five hundred. I think they only printed twenty five hundred of them, and they went out. It was in the subscription box from Goldsboro, but man, it, they sent me one copy, and it it is super cool. They haven't sent the copy to my agent, and he's been emailing the publisher every week saying, "Where is my copy of this book?" Like I've seen pictures of it. And um, somebody in my Facebook reader group got their copy in the mail and posted a picture in Scotland, and it's a really cool edition.
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool. Yeah, I mean, looking at, you know, you've got the Long Winter Trilogy, which is the Winter World, Solar War, and Lost Colony. Uh, then you've got uh, the Extinction Files, which are Pandemic and Genome. And then you've got the Origin Mystery, which is the Atlantis gene, the Atlantis plague, and the Atlantis world. And then your standalone novels, which would be uh, Departure, Extinction, Trials, and, of course, this one, Lost in Time. So it seems like there's a lot of focus on, you know, not so much post-apocalyptic, but at the very least pre-apocalyptic stuff, uh, where it's like you're on the precipice and things could go either way, uh, which... know to me sounds really cool and i'm i'm very interested so obviously once i finish this i'll have to get myself some uh like an actual copy because mine's i just have the uh (laughs) oh yeah the the
0: advanced reader yeah that one was pretty cool too but yeah
1: which which is pretty awesome like it's always nice to be like oh you know have you heard of this book it's like yeah i have an advanced reader copy (laughs) like but uh i've done that a few times where like i really enjoyed the book so i went out and got the actual copy because you also have to you know i i say this all the time you know support the art you love like if you want to see something everyone always complains about prequels sequels spin-offs and reboots but if you're throwing your money out at that that's what they're going to keep making yeah that's true you know support the art you like so you know all this stuff sounds awesome like i can tell you that uh once we're we're wrapped up i'm gonna talk to a friend of mine and she's probably going to order at least the first trilogy there because like this is right up
0: her alley oh wow yeah i appreciate that yeah my wife we were talking this has been this was last year but she was like you know what what are you working on now I i told her i always have way too many story ideas and she was like you know maybe write something a little more uplifting where the world doesn't end where you know why does it always have to be apocalypse and i'm like this is stuff I'm interested in, <laughs> which I probably need to talk to somebody about that, but I will say lost in <laughs> time is probably the only, maybe the only book I've ever written where the world didn't end. So maybe I'm like, you know,
1: it's very hopeful. Like there's yeah. a very overarching message <laughs> of, of peace and hope. I mean, as we, as we touched on, Absalom means father of peace. So just, just, throwing it out there like that's a that's a good that's, a, that's a, a good message you know and like that's and it also has that same message of like every single thing that was ever designed you know the 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions <laughs>
0: right. yeah. yeah
1: yeah especially when you consider what this was originally designed to do <laughs> right and what it was originally designed to do without i mean obviously you know what i'm talking about but without spoiling it for other people like the true intentions behind this uh (laughs) this machine (laughs) but uh i want to thank you so much for uh for joining me today this has been a really fun interview uh definitely go and check out uh, agriddle.com if you have a hard time remembering that it just looks like a griddle um A-Griddle, yeah. you should uh, honestly you should have like a limited edition griddle that you like that you sell on there like that i think that's awesome. the end
0: game for all of this is the griddle market i mean because we've primed people now with 11 books of griddle and now yeah i don't know when the right time for that is but
1: is there a wrong time for a griddle you know
0: great point i mean it's like it's, maybe this is the kickstarter in the making it's like this you know holiday season get your loved one a griddle that to, to remember yeah uh
1: but aside from the website you can also follow him on facebook uh, uh on twitter at rid r-i-d-d-l-i-s-t and of course you can follow him on amazon and uh sign up for the newsletter like i did um You know, so you won't miss out, especially on like the super awesome special editions uh, of Lost in Time signed.
0: And potentially a griddle. yeah, And potentially a griddle. Pushing that, but
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you got to plant the seed. You got to plant the seed. Pay it off at the end. Like this is the long con.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This this is, I mean, this is what we're writing the books for is the griddle market. I
1: quit the internet company. I wrote all these books all to get into the griddle market. It's a cutthroat world. (laughs)
0: <laughs> talk uh, about twist you will not see coming i mean
1: that, right like yeah. surprise uh but thank you so much for uh for joining me is there uh any other any other stuff you want to plug any other websites you want to make sure people are aware
0: of no you did a great you did a much better job than i do at plugging <laughs> anything i'm just terrible at that so thank you very much so, yeah. all right and thank you for having me oh of course
1: yeah this was a blast I love talking nerdy stuff all the time so um, thank you so much and uh, we will be right back Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest deepest smoothest flavor you'll ever find we're coffee freaks too I'm Matthew. I'm Jason. I'm Matteo. And we're Majama, the creators of Bad CGI Sharks. And you're listening to the Shark Bites Podcast.
0: You heard him. Slow ahead. Slow ahead. I can go slow
1: ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. And thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed uh, uh, actually conducting it. Um, this is going to be something that we, uh, we're we going to be doing for a little bit, uh, interviewing some, uh, some writers, some authors. Uh, I've got a couple of folks that I'm trying to line up, but uh, it's good to be back on Shark Bites. It's good to be uh, back out here. I have one that I'm trying to edit that I did a couple of months ago, but... Uh, it may or may not be salvageable. I may have to go back and completely, uh, completely redo the uh, the interview if I can get a hold of the of the person. But uh, next week I will be chatting with Carnegie Medal winner Anthony McGowan uh, about his book that's releasing uh, this month, uh, and, uh, the thirteenth actually. So, uh, actually, Ashes and I—it's uh, our anniversary. Uh, This is a a book called Dogs of the Deadlands, which is, uh, according to this, uh, steeped in Richard Adams, plague dogs and Watership down. Dogs of the Deadlands is a wonderful thing. It moved me and stayed with me for an awfully long time. It is about the dogs. uh, Well, let's just read the... uh, (laughs) In 1986, an explosion occurred in the number 4 reactor of the Chernobyl nuclear plant. This was a terrible human tragedy, but the evacuation of the people from the contaminated area around the plant created perhaps the world's greatest experiment in rewilding. Bears, bison, lynxes, and wolves returned to the forests and roam there still. They're not alone. When the people were evacuated, they had to leave their pets, including their dogs, behind them. Dogs of the Deadlands is the story of some of those dogs and their struggle for survival in this beautiful but dangerous new world. It's also the story of one little girl who had to abandon her new puppy and her fight to one day be united with it. Not too dissimilar from uh, Arya Stark in Nymeria. It's a story full of drama, tragedy, and hope. I've sometimes referred to it as Call of the Wild meets Watership Down meets War and Peace. If it doesn't frighten and excite you and eventually make you cry, then I've failed. It's been my biggest ever writing challenge, and I hope you feel as intensely about it as I did when I wrote it. Anthony McGowan. So that's from the inside of the book. Um, This seems like it's going to be really intense, and it's told from the dog's point of view. So I think that's really fascinating, because that's not something that you see very often. Um, So this week is obviously uh, my triumphant return. Next week we'll be uh, talking with Anthony McGowan, and uh, I hope uh, in the next couple of weeks I'm going to be able to finally get to chat with Susan Snyder who is the author of uh, Encyclopedia Sharksploitanica which is a book that I came across earlier this year and I've really enjoyed and uh, Susan and I have since become uh, social media friends and uh, I would very much uh, like to have her on the show because she is a phenomenally talented writer and uh, well I'll, I don't want to spoil any more of it but uh, she'd be a great addition to uh, to the uh, catalog of podcast episodes here on shark bites or at honestly on any show. But, uh, thank you for, uh, sticking with me. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, I'll probably only do a couple of these a month, but, uh, I am definitely not planning on going a year without, uh, doing another episode of shark bites. I'm going to be talking about movies, TV shows, all kinds of stuff, uh, interviewing writers, interviewing filmmakers, just uh, running the gamut and doing as much as i can to uh put out some new interesting content to help you maybe find something that uh you'd like to consume whether it's uh you know again tv shows books movies whatever it happens to be uh some art maybe some uh some cool collectibles but uh we're going to be discussing that and many many more things uh and uh i just want to leave you with a uh, quick A quick shark fact, Uh, it'll actually be something that uh, Ashes and I experienced over this weekend. um, When Jaws was re-released into theaters and shown in 3D for the first time, Uh, it actually came up to the, uh, it was rated, uh, box office office, uh, numbers ranked it at number eight. So it was the number eight movie this weekend. Which just goes to show you how uh, how awesome of a film this is. Nearly 50 years later, it can still crack the top 10 uh, on a Labor Day weekend. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, maybe that means we'll get more Jaws content. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Does Jaws need more sequels? To find out my real thoughts, check out this week's episode of Throwdown Thursday, episode 301, where Ashes and I talk about sequels because she finally just watched, uh, for the first time ever, Jaws 2 and she still has Jaws 3 and Jaws of Revenge coming up and uh, that would probably be a really good Shark Bites episode Uh, I'm going to see if we can wrangle some folks in on that but uh, until next time uh, while I am the podcaster as the listener you are my chum have a great week folks and uh, I'll see you next time